I hope you picked up a, a copy of the uh, sermon notes as you came in. Uh, I do want to uh, conclude uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 12 as we uh, make a transition into the uh, Lord's Supper uh, this morning. Uh, if you were not here last Sunday, uh, I began uh, this message. I am not going to have the time uh, to review, so I would encourage you to go to the church website and uh, you can listen or see any message there on the uh, website. Uh, but we're emphasizing the motivation uh, to finish the race well. Uh, you remember Hebrews chapter 12 is all about running the Christian race, the Christian race being an allegory of the Christian life. And the emphasis is that the Christian life is not a short, easy sprint. No, it is a long, very grueling marathon where there are many hardships, many adversities uh, along the way to heaven. Uh, but God is faithful as we uh, look to Jesus and as we trust Him to uh, cause all things to work for our good, that we might share His holiness. And He even uses the adversity, the difficulty to uh, make us spiritually fit uh, to build our endurance so that we can finish the finish, uh, cross the finish line uh, a winner. So the end of the chapter deals with these four precious motivations, motivations uh, that God gives us uh, to persevere, uh, to endure, not to give up, not to cave in to discouragement, not to cave in to uh, loss of strength, uh, but to continue to advance uh, no matter the hardships, no matter the difficulties. And we looked at the first two motivations last Sunday, the first motivation being the love of God. And under the love of God, we saw two wonderful blessings that He's given us. And the first is access to God. He's given us access to God 24-7. Uh, the key, uh, we won't take the time again uh, to read it all, but uh, the key there in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 18 and 21, are those, that first phrase, but you come to Mount Zion. In other words, we're not marching to it. We're not, we're not going in that We've already arrived, he said in the sense that we have access to all the riches, all the blessings of heaven. And uh, that's the emphasis in this, that as you run this race, you do not lack the resources. God has given us everything we need to persevere, to endure as we trust Him and as we appropriate, appropriate those resources by faith. And then the forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of God. Uh, the reason we have access to God, uh, which was something totally unknown to the worshiper, as was emphasized in this passage in the Old Covenant, was the forgiveness of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, God was seen as holy, inapproachable, unapproachable, inaccessible. And, uh, and men were sinners, and there was a gulf between the two. And of course, we mentioned last Sunday, well, God is still holy. Men are still sinners. Well, what has made the difference? And the difference has been made by, of course, who? Jesus. Uh, as he bridged that gulf, as he laid down his life to die for the penalty of our sin, and as his blood has washed us, cleansed us, made us white as snow, and uh, we're even told earlier in the book of Hebrews that it's through that blood that every one of us has boldness uh, to access the very presence of God, uh, to find mercy, to find grace. And we, don't, uh, we need not ever fear any longer condemnation because Jesus took our punishment. He took our judgment. And so we have freedom to come to ex access uh, His love. Uh, the second primary motivation, not only the love of God, but the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God. Uh, 
And uh, we saw two fundamental things about the Word of God. Number one, greater privilege means uh, brings greater responsibility. Greater privilege brings greater responsibility. Hebrews 12, 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, referring to Jesus who's speaking to us. He says, don't refuse him. And then greater responsibility brings what? Greater warning. He says, for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape, uh, shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. In other words, the, the primary point here is, although we're not under law, we're under grace. Uh, we don't, want to, we don't want to abuse that grace. And we, I think we would all admit it's our tendency, tendency, knowing that God's grace is there, that we have been forgiven, that there is no judgment, that we have a, a home in heaven secure for us. We can find it very easy to sort of slack off at times and to cut corners, take shortcuts. And, uh, and uh, the writer is saying, no, no, it's just the opposite. The fact that you've been given access to God and all the resources of heaven Though all those wonderful privileges, that makes you even more responsible to run the race with endurance and stay true, to stay faithful to God to the very end. And uh, that's the emphasis there. And, and the thought is, why would you refuse him who is speaking? Knowing how much he loves you. Knowing that he laid down his life for you. Knowing that he's only thinking of your good, of your eternal benefit. So what more foolish thing could any believer do? than to refuse Christ when He's speaking. Uh, not to, uh, Im, uh, you know, anchor our lives on the Word of God and live that, that Word out. And then look at the third motivation. And this is new material right here. The first, the promise of God. The promise of God is the third motivation. And God has promised His followers, notice, an unshakable kingdom. God has promised His followers an unshakable kingdom which is eternal, unchangeable, and immovable. Uh, look at uh, Hebrews 12, verses 26 and 28. It says, And His voice shook the earth then. He's referring to the earlier verses that we looked at last week when He shook what? Mount Sinai at the giving of the law. As when God spoke and not only the people trembled, the very earth shook under the holiness of God. It says, And His voice shook the earth then, but now He has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken... What is he talking about here? It's the promise of Christ's return. Uh, turn to the book of Haggai, or I'll read it for you if you'd like, if you have difficulty finding the little uh, book of Haggai. He's quoting here from the book of Haggai. And in the book of Haggai, if you're familiar with the book, it's all about what? The temple, rebuilding the temple. And as you move into the book, uh, the prophet uh, speaking for God gives this wonderful promise that in the future, God Himself will come to earth and He'll fill that temple with His glory, with His very presence as He reigns and rules over the nations uh, of the earth. Uh, he, uh, Haggai chapter uh, 2 verse 6, and this is what he quoted from here in Hebrews. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. 
Verse 7, and I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And then in uh, verses, uh, um, let's see, uh, 21 and 22, he says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow uh, the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nation. So again, the promise is, our hope is, as we look to the future, is that Jesus is returning. And there will be a payday someday. And He will right every wrong. And He will bring relief to His people. And He will put down the nations of the earth as He reigns and rules in His righteousness. Just a, a couple of New Testament cross-references if you want to get these down. Uh, listen to Revelation chapter 6. It's talking about this uh, same uh, event in history. Uh, Revelation 6, verses 12 through 17, he says, And I looked, when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath is come. And who is able to stand. Again, it's talking about when Jesus will come to right every wrong and to put down the nations of the earth and to establish His eternal kingdom uh, sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. And then a great cross-reference, another one, is Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3, and I love the application that uh, uh, Peter makes here. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, I'll begin reading at verse 11. I'll read through verse 14. He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. Now, where's he talking about the return of Christ when he will destroy the present earth and heaven, give us a new heaven and earth. So since these things are to be destroyed, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his, notice, promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. In other words, he's giving us hope going forward. Now, put this in the context of the book of Romans, the historical context. These believers are suffering what? We've talked about it over and over, persecution. Persecution from the Roman Empire. And basically what he's saying is, listen, folks, you stand firm in the midst of those Roman tremors, because that's all they are, really, just little tremors compared to when I'm about to come back to rock the earth and shake the earth. And when I come to rock the earth, when I come to shake it, uh, everything that's not holy, everything that's not eternal is going to be destroyed and done away. And the only thing that's going to remain is that which is holy, that which is eternal. And my people will stand with me on that day uh, to glorify 
me. And, it's, and the truth is for us today. We go through hardship. We go through adversity. And, it, and it's like going through an earthquake, going through tremors. And he's saying, hold on. Stay firm. Anchor yourself to Jesus. Access all those riches that you have that we talked about earlier through the forgiveness of Christ. Listen to his word. Obey him. Follow him as you run the race. Because you know what's waiting for you is his unshakable kingdom. And for all who will listen to him and will obey him. Therefore, look at the second bullet point there under the promise of God. Therefore, run the race as an expression of worship. Offering service to our worthy and awesome God. He says in verse 28, Therefore let us show gratitude by which may, we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and with awe. So he's saying in light of his love, in light of his word, in light of the promise that he's given you of an unshakable kingdom, there's only one appropriate response, and that's what? To worship. And what is worship? It's, as Romans 12 says, it's presenting your body your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your spirit as a living sacrifice to God and laying that sacrifice on the altar of the cross. And if that means martyrdom, as it meant for many of these Hebrew believers, then do that as an act of worship because Jesus would be worthy of martyrdom. Amen? Amen? (laughs) He is worthy. You're going through difficulty. You're going hardship. And it's painful. It is sorrowful. But is he worthy of your praise? Is he worthy of your worship? As it says in Hebrews 12, for the moment it is sorrowful. That's the reality of hardship and adversity. But that's not the end for the Christian. That's the point. There's an outcome to this. As he says, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And the outcome will be this unshakable uh, kingdom. And, and, And therefore we worship knowing that we're on the winning side. And then look at the fourth and final motivation, and that's the judgment of God. The judgment of God. The fire of God's holiness, which consumes those who reject God's grace, refines those who receive God's grace. The fire of God's holiness, which consumes those who reject God's grace, refines those who receives God's grace. We won't turn to it, but that's a great cross-reference, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, because it talks about the return of Christ when He will bring relief to His people, but retribution to those who have been enemies of the gospel and enemies of His people as they'll be consumed in the fire of His holiness. So the fire that uh, consumes our enemies is the same fire that refines us. Remember what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1? It says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though right now for a little while you've been what? Distressed by various trials. An amazing statement. So he says, you rejoice, even though right now you're stressed out by various trials. Well, why would I rejoice if I'm being stressed out by various trials? He says, knowing that the testing of your faith is like what? Gold refined by the fire. And it's all, to, the outcome of it all is to the praise and the glory of Jesus. And you know the illustration there. There he's talking about the ancient goldsmith who would take a crude bar of gold, put it in a crucible, put it under heat, just continue to intensify that fire. The gold would melt. It's a heavy, heavy metal. It would sink. The impurities would rise to the top. 
and he would, as the heat intensified, he would just continue to remove those impurities until that goldsmith could look into the, that melted liquid and see his face reflected. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with you and I. He uses hardship. He uses adversity he, to put us in that heat to deal with the impurities because when you're squeezed, what's on the inside, what? Comes out. And, and he wants to bring those impurities to the top uh, where you can confess those, where you can forsake those. You can know his refining work so that his life would be reflected in and through you. And then there, of course, there's that, and we talked about this at a previous message, the judgment seat of Christ. And that's for the believer that when each of us are going to stand before Jesus to give an account of how we ran the race, how we lived the Christian life. And 1 Corinthians 3 talks about it's going to be like passing through fire, the fire of God's holiness. And, and it will not determine whether we are saved or not. Our salvation is secure. But what does the judgment seat of Christ determine? Either loss or gain of reward. And what's the criteria to determine whether you receive reward? Basically, three things. What I did, did I do it out of submission to God, out of obedience to God as an act of worship? Number two, was I serving His agenda or my agenda? Was I, was I really living for His interest or my interest? To, to promote self or to promote Jesus? So, obedience... And a motive of promote, and then the third thing is, did I do it for the applause of men or the approval of God? What was my inner heart motive? Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, those who render their service for the applause of men, he says, what, they have their reward, what, in full already. In other words, they forfeit their eternal reward because in reality, they weren't doing it for God. They were doing it to be noticed by others and receive the applause of men. And I'll tell you, beloved, a good test here is in your Christian service and ministry, when it goes unnoticed by others, how do you respond? Do you get upset? Do you get mad that nobody noticed, that nobody thanked you? And sort of get bitter about that? Or do you step back and say... Well, I really wasn't doing it for anybody but Jesus. And he saw it. And I know he will be true and there will be a reward for anything that I've done in his name. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't give affirmation and express appreciation in the body of Christ. We should. But that's not our motive for doing those acts. And then look at that very last bullet point as we move into the Lord's Supper. For the follower of Christ, the old hymn says it well. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume, your gold to refine. Amen. Well, as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, I trust we do come, as it says, to show gratitude that we may offer to God an acceptable servants with reverence in awe. And folks, we have so much to celebrate. Again, God's love. We have 24-7 access to God through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We hold in our hands the Word of God to be able to follow it, knowing Jesus said, those who do it will be what? Will be blessed. And we have the promise of God of an unshakable kingdom. No matter how much we're getting shook up right now by life's adversities, as long as we cling to Him, we're going to arrive at that unshakable kingdom. 
And then we can have the assurance that even God uses the adversity and the difficulty as a fire to refine us. Not to destroy us, but to refine us. So we're told on the night in which Jesus was betrayed that He took the bread. And we're told that after He gave thanks, He broke it. And He said, this is my body given for you. And then He took the cup after supper and He said, this is uh, the new covenant uh, that was cut in my blood. The new covenant that secures your pardon from sin. That secures a new heart where I come to dwell. Uh, now you're my temple. You're my sanctuary. And I live in you uh, to empower you to run that race and to persevere no matter what uh, you might encounter. So as we uh, celebrate uh, this morning, let's celebrate with great joy, with great thankfulness. Uh, let's not abuse the privilege He's given us. And this is why it's so very serious. This is a time to examine yourself. Is there anything between you and God that you have not sought to make right? Is there anything between you and another person that you need to seek to make right as far as it's possible with you? Because one of the big emphasis in Hebrews 12 has been what? Pursue peace with all men and sanctification with God and holiness with God. Father, as we come to your table now, we thank you that you are here. You are the host. You are present. And Father, we partake to express our love and to do what the Scriptures commands us to do in relationship to this ordinance, to remember right now, to remember who Jesus is, to remember what Jesus did for us, to avail ourselves of that blood, to gain access to your presence, to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. So, Lord, open our hearts to worship. Lord, cleanse our hearts that there would be nothing between us and you, so that we would be pure vessels where the aroma of our praise could go up before your throne and be found pleasing to you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.